We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Whoa, it doesn't, it, it, it just came on. All right, welcome to the Eight Hands Podcast. This is episode 77. We are talking about the black agenda tonight. Black man, how are you doing? I just stole your line. I'm <laughs> good, man. I'm true. I, I've been busy, man. There's been a lot going on. Uh, redoing my basement from like the, that flood and stuff, but um, it's just been a lot, man. 2020 just wow, bro. How you how how, how does the Black Panther just die, right? Like, Bruh, yo, 2020 sucks. <laughs> my God, right? Like, I mean, he's the sweetest person. Like, who doesn't like Chadwick Boseman? You know what I mean? It's like. It's just it's just so sad, man. And like these kids, like it hit me. And then I was like, oh, snap. I, I forgot that there's millions and millions of kids that like know him as Black Panther. And like, you know, I saw kids post their little their memorials and stuff like that, man. You know what I'm saying? It was um, it was just sad, man. That, that That's a tough one. Yeah. Hey, listen, bro. That movie was incredible. And the impact that it had on black culture with uh, having those young kids believe in something, you know, it's just monumental, bro. And so he'll he'll forever be in, in my thoughts. His family will be in my prayers. And um, I was looking earlier at a picture with him and Kobe Bryant, bro. Yeah, man, this is rough. This is a crazy. This is a crazy year, man. It's a crazy year. But I, you know, I know you had to do your check in with the with yeah. everybody else. So. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, audience members, man, thank y'all for coming and kicking it with us in the comments. If you could let us know where you are, one to ten, how y'all feeling? Because you know we want to do this check in with y'all to make sure y'all feeling all right. Um, so let us know where you at, and we might have some follow up questions if that number is low. Yeah, man. It's uh, somebody said four black hands. No, they coming. People are coming. Uh, <laughs> hey, and even if it even if it is just four, shit, it could be two. We bring it, and we're gonna do what we gotta do. What you talking about? <laughs> before before we continue having this good time, which is great, uh, just want to send our love and our prayers and our thoughts to our brother Sharif. Um, you know, 2020 is a tough year for a lot of people. Uh, Sharif definitely wishes he could be with us tonight but he has family obligations that he needs to take care of. So we just ask that you all keep him in your prayers. He sends his love. He still sends us his comments through our like pre-production stuff. So uh, Sharif from the hands, from all the fans, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family right now. Yes, sir. Breezy, what's happening, baby? How y'all doing? I'm on CPT time. <laughs> what, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm late. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just late. <laughs> I don't have a hall, a no hall pass. No, no excuse. I'm just late. Let me tell y'all why he late, right? Mm-hmm. He said, if y'all don't give me a smoke machine, I'm not coming. So yeah. you know, we working on it, Chris. The smoke How machine. Long has it been? It's been over a year since I asked for a smoke machine, but we still don't have one. Hey, it's coming, bro. Trust me, it's coming. We 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 working on it. Hey, so 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 listen, real quick before we jump in, man. I want to do a quick PSA to uh black men, not just black men, all men. If you are over the age of 40, mm-hmm. please make sure that you are getting yearly checkups. 
please make sure that when you go in to get your checkup, that you are asking your doctor, your your uh, primary care physician. I had mine on um, maybe like four shows back. Uh, make sure you get your colon checked because you know it, it, things that are happening with men that we know nothing about, and uh, it, it, things that we can do if we know about it. So uh, make sure that you guys are, are, are getting your, your yearly checkups and that you are uh, doing what you need to, to do to, to take care of yourselves and your families. Yeah, man. Here's the crazy thing. I mean, I would even say before 40, because, you know, Chadwick died at what, 43. He, he learned about it at 39. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was even before the normal threshold at which they tell you to get checked on those things. So it's just sad, man. It's just, it's just really, really unfortunate. And, um, that was just a blow, man. Uh, Chris, we was just doing a check-in, and I had brought up the passing of the Black Panther. Uh, we also lost Cliff Robertson, who played in the league. One of my best friends played with him in the Warriors, and I know that was a, a rough day. So, foil my thoughts and prayers are with you and your family uh, as you all are mourning uh, the passing of, of, of Mr. Robinson. Um, but it's just a, it's a rough time, man. How are you holding up, brother? I mean, I'm doing well. I think, you know, what you're saying right now is true on an ongoing basis. We keep losing people. This last year has been nuts, just just a year. But each one is like a message to us, like the one that Ray just gave. Like there's something to learn each time something like this goes down. Um, And the first thing I thought was like, damn, that's young. You know, you just said 39 when he first found out. It's been a secret for like, what? Six years, years, right? Four Four, years. Um, And damn, that's young, right? Um, I can remember when I used to think uh, at a period of time, late 20s, when people were having heart attacks and stuff, I'd be thinking like, well, that's old people's thing. Like, I'm I'm glad I'm not that old. And I can remember when people my age started having heart attacks and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second now. I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be in this group of people that have heart attacks. It's true. It's true. It sneaks up on you. Bruh, so so real quick, right? Charles, I'm gonna get get to something that you said a while ago, but okay. I think it's relevant, it's relevant now. But before we get to that, I wanna say this. Man, whoever is on that Bozeman team is like the dopest group of people ever, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they kept that secret close to their vest. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew anything about it. And that and and his his will be done, and so wh- whoever you put in your friend group, make sure you have friends that are that are like the Wakanda team, because mm-hmm. that that right there, and, and 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 so I'm grateful for for the friends that I have on this podcast because I know that if I had to keep something, if, if they had to keep something close to the vest, they would do it, and so thank you, fellas, I appreciate y'all. Hey man, yeah. Now I was I, I, one of the points I was making was, and, and Chris is like one. People actually can keep a secret. Uh, it wasn't just his, him and his team, right? It was that Marvel. Every movie you go on, you have to get insured. Like you got to get insurance. They do physical mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, um, it, it one it shows that when people actually want to keep a secret, they can keep one. Uh, two, I got you. I know what you're trying. I got you. <laughs> no trip. I got you. Boom. Uh, it shows that when people uh, want to keep a secret, they can. And then two, you know, it just shows that like 
you know, he was moving with purpose, right? Like he was like, oh, I'm doing these movies. I'm intentional about the movies I'm doing. I'm intentional about the legacy that I want to leave behind. And how would you move if you knew you had a limited amount of time to live? I mean, I'm sure they were optimistic and that's why he was doing his treatments and everything. Mm -hmm. to beat it. But uh, our mortality, man, mortality comes for everybody. And, you know, and how we think about death and our relationship to death is something that's really important. And, and you know, I know I'm long-winded. I just wanted to taste this moment. Like, I was very sad when my grandmother passed away. That's who I, I looked at as my mother. Um, it, it was hard for me. And she's my favorite person. And I just remember her being sick. And I remember something just around her being like, hey, I've earned this. Like, let me go. Right. Let me go do what I need to do. And, it, and you know, the reason why I am Christian is like, I, again, I saw God in her and how she moved and like my relationship in that space. I want to be at that type of place or peace when it is, you know, my time or whatever. Like, I want to feel like I earned it and I deserve it. And it's something that's welcome as a being a part of this journey. So, uh, Mr. Bozeman, wherever you are, uh, job well done. Thank you for what you've done for our culture. And uh, and to the little kids out there, man, that's hurting. Um you know, I hope that I hope that, you know, I hope that God softens your heart a little bit and, and, and we can, like, be happy for him and what he's accomplished in this moment. Yeah. Breezy, jump in there. <laughs> I mean, I, I think y'all said it all. I, I, I like like, you know. I have like this Ecclesiastes from the Bible type of mentality about these things. Like there's a time to live, a time to die. You know, there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. And there's nothing new under the sun. There are three wisdom books in the Bible. And, and Ecclesiastes is one of them. And for many people, it's the most frustrating one because it basically says dust to dust. Um, nothing means what you think it is. Um, you know, you just just go about your life knowing that nothing is 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 granted. Nothing is is for sure. Um, you wake up today and it might be your last day. There are people who have just dropped around. you. doesn't matter how much money you have, how well you've done in life, how poorly you've done in life. That's just the way it is. Right. You come in naked. You go out naked. You come in alone, you go out alone and uh, any everything in between is just what you make of it. Um, so I know we mourn people when they pass away, but I've lost so many people in my life over time that I've had to reconcile like my, what my my idea of, of death is. And it, it really is that like, you know, it's your time, it's your time. There's a time to live, a time to die, time to laugh, time to cry, time to be rich, time to be poor. You know, just is what it is. And if, if you live in that continuum, that back and forth, you don't have to deal with, with as much trauma and as much pain uh, when things happen. Like you, you, the number one cause of pain in your life is the expectations of having things. Right. Um, I don't mean to get all philosophical on y'all, but. But but that, that that's where I'm at with it. You no know. worries. Hey, listen, because I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna break that <laughs> I'm gonna break that up. Watch watch this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy. There's there's a time to hey. rob and steal. There's a hey. time to give hey. back and hey. kill. Hey, Charles, Charles, hey, Charles. Remember, remember, I, I plugged it earlier, right? Because remember when you when, when what you said, right? You was like, when you die, what you don't want to happen. Never. I I, I told y'all, and y'all was like, Charles, why would you go so hard on Sean King? And because Sean King is listen, man. There's a lot of good that I think Sean King has put into the world. I think he's talented, and I think he can do a lot of good stuff. But the opportunistic, like. 
space that he just took up just now, like using. So basically, let me explain what happened for people that's listening. Chadwick Boseman passed. Everybody, not just Black America, but anybody that was watching movies is like mourning and hurt and shocked. And he decides, Talcum X decides to send an email to everybody that follows him and starts by honoring the life and death of Chadwick Boseman and turns it into asking people to buy his book. That has nothing to do with Chadwick Boseman. Like this dude is, there's no... There's just no scruples there, man. I actually don't have a problem with you pumping your book. I don't well, have. You well, did it before too, right? Yes. This is the first time. Yeah, you did it. You did it before. I was like, get yeah. your man. Yeah. This your friend. Yeah. Well, I thought I was friends. What's yeah. up with your friendship, Chris? Yeah. Well, you know, people make mistakes in life, man. Bro, shit. You know. Yeah, shit. Please <laughs> a, a series of mistakes, Listen, man. Like I just want to this mistake. Did, well, I mean, when when I say people make mistakes, he's asking me about me because I was, you know, I was oh. a, a booster. I was a supporter <laughs> of Sean's for a while. And I'm still a supporter of this. I, the reason I was supportive of Sean is because of what y'all call can- cancel culture. To me, is just he's like the TMZ of racism. So he gets it on tape. He puts it out there and people get fired. There are consequences. There didn't used to be any consequences. He's got a million followers. So he's like, Internet, do your thing. Somebody then called this kid, slapped this kid and called him, you know, nigga. Okay, Internet, here he is on video. Find out who he is. Two days later, that dude's in the news crying, uh, apologizing and and uh, lost his job, you know, Uh, and and that's going to live on forever for him. Right. Because that's going to be out there. That was the service that Sean does that I think is worth saying. You know, that that's good work. But this is beyond the pale, man. This this is just like there, it's unintentional sleaziness. Why do you have to be this sleazy? Right. Like like you already got called out. He's been called out by DeRay and, and uh, Jonetta and other people who go way back in the movement. He's been called out by black women, a series of black women over time. Why do you keep doing this type of thing? Yo, this I is like the 80th fundraising thing he has done. He started organizations, a magazine, uh, flipped the Congress. Uh, just keep going down the line. Why? It goes back. To, it goes back to what Charles said, man. I think it's this clickbait thing. I think that he is getting like. So if he he probably has like some kind of secret deal <laughs> with Illuminati, <laughs> to where like if he could get a hundred thousand people to tweet about him every three weeks, then he'll uh, he'll he'll uh, he'll live to be one hundred and fifty. He's gonna live to be a thousand right now. Then, if that's the case, he's gonna be a thousand. He'll live to be a thousand. Then, I mean, here's the thing, right? Because I saw I saw Lucy in the comments saying there's no good that comes from him. Like you said, right? Like I think that. When he is deciding to use his powers for good, it actually can be beneficial, right? But if you scamming people and robbing people and it's always some type of controversy or whatever the case is, like, I just feel like, man, this, other things can be smaller, man. But this right here is just, you have either no awareness or you just don't care. Um, I, You know, the, the issue comes up, is he black? Is he not black or whatever? I don't know what that dude is. I Whatever, right? Like, you know, I, at this point, though, it was just so nasty. What like that email is just so nasty. Like, and if this was like my brother, like if this, if, if something happened to one of y'all, and he was just like, "Oh man, well Chris Stewart was just amazing," and even though I blocked him, he was amazing, and this, that, and the third. Send he your money here. He straight up blocked me. Send your money here, man. We got to fight, bro. Like we just got to fight, man. Like 
what happened to just some stuff just gets you punched in the mouth, man. question to you fellas i i know people gonna say this is toxic masculinity or whatever the case is right but i did grow up in a time where there's just some things that can get you punched in the face like if this ain't one of them i don't know what is i'm just saying like (laughs) (laughs) hey hey, 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 listen yo ah man hey my old lady called me always ready to fight because no, no, me. I, I'm always ready to fight, and so um, yeah, man. I, I definitely would punch him in the face for something like this. If he if he did that to one of y'all, if he matter of fact, if he did that to somebody that I ain't even really like that much, when I I'd probably still punch him in the face because he needs to stop doing this shit. It's crazy, Mister King. I want to be fair, and I don't want to be fully just just full of emotions on it. Mr. King, you actually do have a service that you offer that is beneficial to black people when you are doing that work, when you are focused in that work. Now, if you got to just be honest and say, look, I just need the money to do this and this is how I got to do it. Have that conversation and let's deal with it, right? Because you actually are valuable to this movement. Like Chris said, if somebody did some racist stuff in Appalachia or whatever, like you getting their face all over everything and they, they done for it, right? Like that's actually very valuable. But if you can't tell that you also cause just as much hurt and pain and making people relive stuff and taking people's money and scamming them and making people have to defend you that are actually doing real work out here, man, like, Understand that you causing just as much hurt as you are helping, and and that ain't cool, man. And I'm done. We can get off that dude. You don't yeah. no more of our attention. They but pause. That's, that's pause. your fault, right? And I'm like, ready to put that shit up. Like, <laughs> you know what though? This is like this is a good point to, to point out though. This is a generational thing. This new generation of activism that has depended on hashtags, that has depended on Twitter activism and keyboard warriors and all that nonsense who think that they're doing the work. I'm so sick of hearing the work. Like, like, like what is the work? Like, like you, I have not seen uh, um, anything but people striving for clout, to be very honest with you. Clout and Sean's clout chasers and, and Sean's not the only one see like like we didn't gave birth to a whole bunch of people that got millions of followers on Twitter out of some pain that was happening in Ferguson and have become famous and shit and hanging with famous people and shit and now you have a nation of young people thinking that that's what activism is looking up to them thinking that oh I can pursue activism on the back of dead bodies laying in the street for eight hours and do a photo op and get a Twitter account. And now I'm going to be famous, not just an activist. I'm not just going to be fighting for a cause. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be getting like clout. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And they should all be ashamed of those. I'm like, listen, I'm just going to stop at that. Sean's not the only one though. Sean's not the only star effing individual who became famous off of the pain of other people, right? He's not the only one doing that, turning it into clout and turning it into meetings with famous people in famous places. That's all I'm going to say. I'll wow. say this, because I, cause I, cause I, 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 I agree and disagree a little bit, right? I get your point. I would say this, because I, I don't care about that part, right? I, don't, I actually don't care about what Sean does. I think that Sean, if you meet people and just by, as a byproduct of you kind of being in this work and creating a new, this new space, you get to be with Michelle Obama or whatever. That's that, I don't care about that. I, I, I have more of an issue of just the blatant 
Like, there just are no scruples in that piece. I think that the world is always going to make stars. I think that, like, whether it's a movement, whether it's, you know, whatever the case is, sometimes, like, people just end up rising up. Now, I do get your point, right, where it becomes, when you become a caricature of yourself and you're doing it for that reason, right, it's not the thing. You know, Chris, I'll even bring people behind the curtain. And first off, y'all should be checking out, Chris is leading that book club, and it's a tough book. And I don't know if we're gonna do that no more, man. But you know, but I want to say this right because you know this is something that people asked for, and yeah. uh, it wasn't that many people that showed up. But I showed up in it, and I was just very honest. I said, "Listen, I don't love always having to do this type of work, right? Like I enjoy helping my people, you know. But if I could do it over, and I didn't have to think about racism and stuff, I would love to work at Apple." I would love to be the education person there. I'm just like, I'm just saying, I would love to be able to be doing Twitch or doing like tech reviews and stuff like that and not having to worry about that stuff, right? If Apple calls, I might end up leaving. I'm just being honest with people. But I think the problem comes to your point, Chris, is like when you don't care about the issue, but it's like I'm picking the issue that's going to put me in the best position personally. I think that's more what you're talking about. But I don't, But Chris, the reason why I don't have a problem with that is, Chris, you do this well. Ray, you do this well. Sharif does this well. Y'all are going to get attention right because where there is a void people want to put people in the void right and so i i i don't want to hear you said at this day and then if a network calls us tomorrow and we end up get, get having the hottest show and that's just how it is then that's just what it is you know what i'm saying but um, well, I, I i still I stick by my point i'll stick by my point though and say even if that network called, there'd be re- different reasons to do it and there'd be different ways to do it and some of it would be star fucking and some of it wouldn't Right. That's just the way it is. I'm just being real. I'm just being honest. Some of there's there are two different ways to do this. And there are a lot of angry on the ground grassroots activists who, if any of these people that I'm talking about come to town, the activists who are doing the real work in those cities and have been forever will call them out and point them out and do it savagely. And it's valid. It's just 100 percent valid. I'm not saying that like like, listen, I I think enough about this, enough about this, right? It's not to tear anybody's work down. It is just to say that it is not, that there is a facile plastic group of people that it never really was about the work. And you could find that out by how fast they switched into celebrity mode. The moment that the offer started coming, they started wearing makeup and doing photo shoots and shit (laughs) while other folks are still dying in the streets laying dead in streets and shit still, and nothing has changed, even though you have people saying, I do the work, right? No, 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 people on the ground are doing the work, right? And I can identify the ones in my local area that are doing it. I'm not saying that I'm doing what they're doing because I know they would call me out in a heartbeat for saying that I'm doing what they're doing. They're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Bruh, so another thing that jumped out uh, this week, and I'm not showing any videos because, you know, we don't really do the videos and whatnot. And it's really getting tiring have, having to talk about this every week. But we're black men and we're being hunted in the streets. And so we'd be remiss to not mention this. And so, uh, Jacob Black, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys saw the video, but um, mm-hmm. a man was shot seven times. Um, law in, the officials are in the back. Law mm-hmm. officials are saying that uh, he was a threat because he had a, a, a warrant out on him. And they said, I don't give a shit. It wasn't even an active warrant. It wasn't even an active warrant, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't give a shit if he had a warrant out on it. It doesn't matter, 
right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't that part does not matter to me. That man was not posing any kind of threat to anyone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you got black folks out here, black men out here that are being hunted, right? I got a problem with that shit, and everybody should have a problem with that. And if you don't have a problem with that, then you listening to the whole you listen to the wrong podcast, the whole wrong podcast. Right. And you and you probably watching the wrong news network. Right. That's very true. There's an entire there's an entire white supremacist news network that anytime you bump into somebody who has something really ignorant to say about this, super ignorant and backwards, you can always tell what network they're watching. Right. And there's a lot of them. It's the most it's it's actually the most watched network on planet Earth. So there you go. The most watched network in the United States and on planet Earth is a white supremacist organization that has already started making the kid, the 17 year old white kid who shot people a hero. Damn hero. They already started that now. Anytime a black man is dead, they start indicting you for your own murder. The moment you die. Oh, well, you know, he had a criminal background. You know, we dug something up. Boy, they, they dig stuff up fast. And then this white kid shoots somebody. He can't even get the police to stop and arrest him. He's walking down the damn street with a gun and shot several people doing hand signs and shit. And they, he can't even make himself get arrested. And that network is already making him a hero. I mean, because that's what they're going to do. I mean, listen, man, sometimes you're in a war and you don't realize it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. these, these are acts of war. And that's one of theirs. And I will say this, right? Um, and, and real quick, as I make this comment, uh, we have it taken at the bottom, but please just take a moment. We depend on you all to make sure we get eyes um, and ears on this show. Word of mouth is the strongest thing that we could ever ask for. So if you do support this and you support conversations like this, please share it. And don't just push share by itself. Like tell people why they should listen. You know what I mean? Tell people why you listen uh, and it'll it'll be really helpful. And can you just let us know after you do it? Uh, so we can build out that solidarity. Um, but yeah, man, I think these are acts of war. And I think that there are people that have felt like they are, there have been white people or people in control that have felt like they've been losing power for a long time now. And some of those people, when they talk about taking to the streets, when you got Spencer and you got Trump and you got all these people saying things for years, well, now you got young people that's in their own enclaves and they hear that, right? And they ready. That little boy was ready and he got drove up there by his mama. His you mom know dressed just like him. Dressed yeah, just like him. Right? But this yeah. is because yeah. they feel like they fighting for something. And I want to say this as well, right? People, if somebody got an AR-15, don't run up on them, especially if you got a skateboard. They said the other dude had a pistol. Because at that point, I, I like when I watched the video, when I watched that black on when I watched that white on white crime video, because it was all white people, um, I was like, why are you running at that boy at him when he got that gun? And when he fell, he was training. Like, you can tell when somebody's never shot a gun before and, like, they kind of shooting everywhere or whatever. Oh, no. Homie was, he knew what he was doing. Like, he was scared for a minute when he fell. And then he he got in position and he started shooting. And I think that this is going to lead us into our conversation about what is the black agenda? Like, what should things look like for us and, and by us? Because there are people that are preying on us. They are hunting us. And we still fighting each other harder than we fight in these systems. Like, we, part of the reason I think that 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 show you got, not show Chris, but the, uh, the book club, man, is because you were trying to bring black men and black women together and just whoever else. But I think you were trying to have us have a conversation with each other. Like, look, how do we get 
to where we need to get to so we can be together in this because they out here hunting us. They are hunting us, man. Mm-hmm. And and it's um and it hurt my heart, man, when I jumped into a group and it wasn't nobody there. Shout out to Nicole. You know, Nicole <laughs> <laughs> was holding it up. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, we've had some in past weeks. We've had some good uh, conversations and some good turnout. The problem is that the subject matter of the book is so intense. It is so intense and and it is so academic on one level um, that it's hard for people to get through. It really is. And the entire book is about blackmail erasure. Uh, the name of the book is called The Man Knot, and it's basically talking about the netherworld that the black man sits in between feminists saying that you're part of the patriarchy and the people who lead the patriarchy not seeing you as real men. So you actually really have nowhere to go but die. And the whole book is about black death, necromancy, how white people actually are turned on by it, by black death and by black male death specifically and the psychological reasons behind that. It, it, it's a tough book. It's got to be said at some point and talked about, but this has been I, I, just to be real about it. It's been a, it's been a tough thing. Yeah. You know, I know we got a segue into our thing, but let me say one last piece about because we're going into an agenda. Like, what's our agenda? Right. And I spent the last couple of days because of something that I'm writing, watching a few uh, programs of black conservatives. Right. And because I associate with black conservatives, one of them had sent me a link to one of these things. I went and watched it. There is a show. That is a lot like the eight black hands, but it's all black conservatives and younger cats. Right. A couple of them got millions of followers on Twitter. A couple of them got like hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. I hadn't heard of none of them. Hadn't heard that this group, uh, these two twins called the Hodge twins, Hodgson twins or something like that, have the most shared pro Trump um, Facebook posts ever. And they also have the sixth and seventh and eighth most shared or whatnot. Two black conservatives, twins. We talking about an agenda. We have to realize that a lot of our people are all over the map. Right. I know we're going to start talking about this agenda. Now we're going to segue into it. But it was depressing to watch this show that was like ours, but an alternative universe of black folks basically saying that we are the problem, basically saying that racism is over. Um that it's all on us and, and whatever, and, and realizing that they're being elevated and lifted up and funded um, in ways that's crazy. And we're not their audience. That's the funniest thing. These are supposed to be black shows about black people for black people that only white people know about. Right. That's crazy. Cause, cause not that many white people know about us. <laughs> I feel like they do. Don't don't undersell us, man. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's the worst commercial ever. No, no, no. We internationally known on the microphone. Keep going, man. <laughs> man, so hey, listen. So we the show this week is about a black agenda, man. So you know, mm-hmm. we have we actually have a blueprint to a black agenda, and I don't know if you guys want to touch on it, but I could definitely share it. Um, if if, if you guys want to uh to touch on this, this is this is kind of like the blueprint. Uh, uh, the mecca of uh of um yeah the black panthers yeah the black panthers 10 point program so you know I, I know we have our own individuals but please know that uh the premise of coming up with uh these types of programs did not start today didn't start with ice cube didn't start with diddy um we've been doing this and so uh, I just wanted you guys to know that. But yeah, let's jump in, man. Let's do a uh, let's do a round robin, Charles. We'll, we'll, we'll start with you, and then uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I won't go into the whole thing. When I was just thinking about it, I was thinking about it in the sense of um, 
like the state and the individual, right? Like, because there, there are things that need to happen on both. And I'll just start with the state, right? Because we didn't do this to ourselves. Some things had happened. But I, part of mine started with what I call the 50 plus one plan. And the 50 plus one plan would, would, would require that schools that have that receive public funds, uh, police, police departments, fire departments, anything that, that gets public funds um, should have we should be represented um, basically based off the percentage of black people that are there. So if it's 30 percent black people in, in that place or in that school, it should be 30 percent black teachers or whatever the case is. But 50 plus one also requires that. 50% plus one of those people live in that community, whether it's teachers, whether it's cops, firefighters or whatever, because what happens is when you get, when you get to drive in somewhere and drive out, there's a cognitive dissonance that you get to have. Um, I have, I just got a ring doorbell on my, on my, on my, uh, at my house and it puts you in this net, in this network and it's called the neighborhood. I don't know if any of y'all seen this app. We all have it. So, Bro, I tell you, I opened that thing up this morning and it was somebody two and a half miles. It was a shooting, all caught on ring. Like you can hear everything in it, right? And the thing is, is like, if I'm a cop or a teacher and I get to experience that, it just, I'm a part of that community. I'm here. I can tell myself whatever I want to tell myself, but I got to feel what's happening to those people when I'm there. So my 50 plus one plan is just, and it will be kind of expansive from there. It would also talk about financial institutions or whatnot, because I'm also in another book club uh, and we're reading the color of money, black banks and a racial wealth gap by uh, Marissa uh, Baradaran. I, I said that wrong, but it's a really good book. So for instance, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna stop and let y'all go, but here's one thing I learned. There have been immigrants that come to this country and they have been niggeratized when they came. Like the Italians were that, uh, the Irish were that. And then somewhere along the way, they made a contract with white America to become part of the social part of this social construct. So the Bank of America, which many people go to and have banking at, you know what that started as? It was the Bank of Italy. It was started by Italians. And then to become part of this group, right, to become seen as white. They had to give up their bank and rename it. And then in exchange for that, there was also there was a huge movement and campaign around Christopher Columbus, who was an Italian. Right. So part of the reason that you learn about Christopher Columbus with the fervor that you learn about him in schools is because there was a contract between Italian immigrants that are now part of this country and white people to be accepted. The other thing that you should be looking out for right now, and the reason why I bring this up, and this is my last point, I'm, I swear, is there's this thing going on with Asian folks and use and access to, to UCs or whatnot. It's the affirmative action kids coming back. And it split the Asian community because a lot of them are saying, look, we're in the same boat as these minority folks. But there's a lot of people in that Asian community that's siding with these conservative folks. You will see it on Fox News that's saying, no, no, no. I don't I don't need more black and brown people in these schools. We the ones who pass these tests. We the ones that prepare for these since we were kids. And it should be majority Asian people at this UC. So I just wanted to I would start with this 50 plus one plan because there's things that's happening around us that we just not aware of. Yeah. Breezy, mm -hmm. jump in. So I'll say um, 
one thing about the Italian Americans is that they got reparations. So there was 11 Italians got lynched and it was considered to be the largest lynching or whatever, the largest mass execution or something like that. And what came out of that actually was Columbus Day. And they got reparations. Italians got reparations for the way that they had been treated before. Um, the niggerization process, if you read before the Mayflower, the niggerization process is real. Like the the Willie Lynch letter may not be real, but the niggerization process was actually a science. It was a slavery science and it was used against different groups of people. It was even used against gay people. The process is real. So trust the process, <laughs> trust the process or else you might end up niggerized right at some point. So anyways, um, let me say this about the, the, the black agenda. This is a book. This is like the Bible of everything you were just talking about, Charles. Mm-hmm. The blue, the blueprint for black power by Dr. Amos Wilson. This book is is I think this should be in every household because this actually is the blueprint. This is the agenda. This is the 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 substantial research behind what the agenda should be. It's not just people making stuff up. But there's actually like real science behind it, too. So I, st- I stress this to people in education. Can you guys share my screen real quick? Mm-hmm. You, you, just, yeah, you got it. Oh. Share your own screen. Yeah, you got to do it. <laughs> or you can I gotta it. do it. Okay. All right. Hold on one second. Yeah, just send me the link. I got you. No, he can do it himself. He does this every day. There you day. go. This is true. This is true. All right. So this is actually the blueprint for action. In 1986, there was a large group of black people that came together was a cross section of black people um, at all levels of of society. There was a lot of uh, decision makers, lawmakers, pastors, clergy, parents, teachers, students, educators or whatnot. This massive meeting that they did and they created a blueprint. And out of the blueprint came uh, a level uh, an instruction for everybody at every level, what you can do, what you can do as a parent, what you can do as an educator, what you can do as like a, a, a lawmaker or whatever. And it was very specific. It was it came out of um, it came out of a real process. Right. It was one dude who, who brought together all these folks. together. I, I think he was in in um, I want to say he was in Congress or something like that. Again, a lot of what we want to do today and what we want to put up has already been done. Right. And is it all we have to do is be curators and, and it starts by coming together. You, you all see what happens when we have when we talk to Dr. Fuller, Dr. Howard Fuller, mm-hmm. that dude leaves you with so many documents that you like feel that you don't actually have to go looking for anything else ever again. Right. Like he's just a walking library of everything that you need. You tell him what you want to do and he'll, he'll put it out there for you. Right. Um, when when me and Sharif just did this show on Friday, the Freedom Friday with Dr. Carr. Same thing, man, had all this like had all this uh, information that that we need. So anyways, I'm just like I'm pushing for people to like look at what we already got blueprint uh, for black power and to um, I can send this documents. I see somebody asking for a link to this document. This is actually like a document that I have, uh, but I can send the link out to folks. Yeah, um, I could put it somewhere and let people see it. I mean, you could also do it in your book club that people ain't showed up for. You know what I'm saying? Don't be coming up here all spicy talking about talking about comments, comments. You get the comment and you come to the book club. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, so you you know, remember we were talking about that that plot of land? I think in South Carolina we did it a while ago. Where basically, um, like 
black, it was like all black people that kind of did it. Well, I just got sent an article about 19 black families that bought over 90 acres of land and created a uh, in freedom. The Freedom Georgia Initiative aims to plant the seeds of a potential new black Wall Street in Toomsboro, Georgia, baby. Who's going this, to Georgia, this, baby? This is first of all, let me just say I have two families that I'm working on something very similar with right now. We like we already said we got similar types of families, similar types of kids. There are these ghost towns across America that you could buy for like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. Still has a like a, a, a like a library building and a movie theater, whatever. The only thing is it's empty, completely empty. And if you don't mind ghosts, you're good. Right. Uh, and if you don't believe in ghosts, you're really good. So this is still possible. I do want to like point out again stuff that has happened before. Soul City was built in the 70s by Floyd McKissick with a HUD grant. And he did the same thing. He created a black city. It's still standing. It's still there. It still has the gated community, gate at the at, at the, the start of it. And it's called Soul, Soul City and still standing. I visited it and thought. I just can't believe that people aren't doing this right now. Still doing this. You can start your own school, have your own land, have your own city services. Your own cop, your own, your own, whatever. You, if you want to do restorative practices, you can do that. I mean, this is the thing. And right? you could be a sundown t- town if you wanted to. Right. You could be a black sundown town. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what y'all doing here, but you better get out by sundown. Right. right. I mean, so property. I just wanted to like share that because there's a thing, right? Like we are at a place, right? where we have to move past just talking. We are at a place mm-hmm, where we mm-hmm. have to like start to put things into action, right? So, you know, I know I know you and Ray got things that you want to list, but I was saying like there should be a black I I I I played around you can't with go to your number 2 before I go to my number so you, 1. Well, you go go to your number 1 cuz I'm ready for this. So you go right in. I'm going to make you the full screen. I got I got you. Let me, yeah. let me do the screen for you, yeah. brother. You know. So, so, so my agenda number one, right? Because I, I'm thinking, uh, at who could possibly be the president in, uh, in, in November. And I'm thinking about, um, because Trump, folks, Trump. folks coin, folks coin it as the, uh, the Joe Biden crime bill, but it really wasn't the Joe Biden crime bill. It was democratic crime bill. And a lot of black folks signed on to it. And, you know, people don't want to say that people don't want to give themselves credit for that. But a lot of black folks mm-hmm. doing the crack ep- epidemic were walking around calling, fellow Negroes, um, super predators. That's true. And so, you know, it, you know, we, we got to acknowledge that. And so one of the things that was lost, uh, during that crime bill is just like just regeneration of the black family, the nucleus of the black fam- family, the black males, uh, were taken out of the household and put into prison systems. Or whatever, mm-hmm. Right. And they were done at a rate that was not equal to white men who dealt cocaine or whatever. Like we all know, you know, the, the we all know what happened with you know crack versus cocaine. But one of the my my so that brings me to my first agenda item. My first agenda item is child support reform, right? And mm. it may not hit well with some people. Right? May not I'm, hit I'm, well I'm with watching this people, one. Go with right. Tell me more. But, uh, tell me more. Child support reform. And it, oh, yeah. but, but, here, but here's here's the thing, right? It's like I want fathers to be looked at as more than just non-custodial parents in ATMs, right? I want the system to do as mm-hmm. much as mm-hmm. they do to recoup monies from non-custodial parents as mm-hmm. to help them build relationships with their parents, I mean, real relationships with their children, right? Because what you'll see is you'll see the primary caregiver of that child, right, that may be walking around with some kind of attitude, uh, hating the world, 
or whatever, right? Cheating that kid out of having a relationship with both parents mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. off of the baggage mm-hmm. that they carry, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you go to the court systems, the court systems are like, we can't do anything about it. It's it's all on the it's all on the the the, the non custodial. I mean, it's all on the the custodial parent, or it's all on the system. Blame the system. Damn that! If you're taking money from these non custodial parents, you need to help them. Right? You need to help them in terms of like, you know, making sure that they have visitation rights, making sure that they're able to build relationships with their kids, making sure that they're not ostracized by schools that think that because they're not there in person that they don't care about their kids. Right. And this all starts with us. I know this might be a little personal. To some people it's damn sure personal to me. And that's why I'm saying it, because it means something to me. That's where I'm at. Mm. All right. Mm. It's a tough issue. It's a tough issue. Definitely is. I mean, but yeah. I know yeah. that, that, that's yeah. your point. You get to make your point. I feel yeah. it. And I think, I mean, let's just, let, let's stay on yours for a little bit, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I saw this a lot as a social worker. And I've seen it in both ways. I have, there are some people that's like, look, bro, we just need you to pay your child support if you ain't out here. You ain't doing stuff. And I have also seen uh, it been used in a toxic way around, I have seen fathers that were trying to like see their kids and get in their kids' lives and it's just been really rough. I've seen it actually at about a 50% rate either way, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that we like to paint things a certain type of way. So, um, and I, you know, but again, you, y'all get to speak to that in, in, a, in, a, in a much more intimate way. So I'll step out the way after giving my little two cents on it. But I, I'd love to hear from mm-hmm. both, you know, Chris and Chris, I'd love to hear from you, you know, on that mm-hmm. Well, one thing I'll plug, there's a show on Apple called Dads right now. That's really good. It's a it's a uh, it's a documentary and it's a lot of fathers talking about fatherhood and being fathers. And what you get out of it is it's a mystery for for most men. There's no book that comes with it. There's no book to deal with the crazy and complex stuff that happens when you you break up with somebody, too, and you still have a baby or whatnot. And I think what you just said, Charles, is true. It goes both ways. I think when you go to court, the court has a presumption of maternal custody. Like, like just straight out, they have a prejudice for maternal custody uh, right out the gate and, and see fathers as, as a uh, checkbook, right? Which is wrong. ATM. You also have ATM. That's right. Like, like, like they make your worth in the life of the child, the money. That, that is your worth. Your worth is all tied up in those dollars. It's not tied up in the moral, spiritual teacher guidance that you, you're supposed to do as a man. It's not, it's not messed up. It's not locked up in any of that. So I agree with you on that, Ray. Um, but you started somewhere else. Because these conservatives that I was talking about, these conservatives I was talking about, like Candace Owens and others, keep saying the same thing. I don't know why we're talking about BLM. I don't know why we're talking about police murders when everybody knows that the number one problem with black people is fatherlessness. That's the talking point on the right. And it's on the talk. It's also a talking point in some ways within our, our center and our center right with church folks too. you know, fatherlessness. But if fathers were so important, why did you put millions of them in jail at six to 10 times the rate of white people for the exact same drug? Why did you snatch people up and put them in a prisons that had no no regulations, didn't treat them, didn't rehabilitate them, didn't offer them anything other than to become a better criminal and then send them back <laughs> with all kinds of messed up stuff in their head and their soul from their time in that prison back into communities again? If fathers were so important, why did you do that? Because last time I checked, we didn't 
invent guns in the hood. We didn't invent crack in the hood. Uh, Charles, you've written a lot about crack. The fallout from that, that that was a family killing government program. Crack was a government program. It was a black family killing government program that worked exactly like it was supposed to work and funded a war somewhere else. So if black parents are so black men are so important and black fathers are so important, where's the reparations for that? Who's going to say, I'm sorry. Okay. You said that it's not Joe's bill. It's not Joe. It's a lot of people. Where's their sorry at? Where's their sorry at? Where's their repayment for like 20 years of overly aggressive uh, um, prison sentences that killed families? Well, I think without trying to, I think you just, brought up one of these points that we need to have, you know what I'm saying? And I, I think, you know, again, nigga, <laughs> the niggerization <laughs> of our people is going to be a thing. And Chris, I try to partner with you to do an actual report on this, but I don't want you to lose your company. But I do think that there's, <laughs> there's, but there's a process, right? It starts with distorting reality. And you would think that ain't no black daddies at home nowhere in this country. God damn, that's true. Even even in the way we talking about it, even even the people that's on here that have divorced or they have fathers or ex-husbands or ex-boyfriends that might be paying child support. I've seen many of those same women just comment like, well, we working it out. We actually figuring something out. He actually is helpful. I need I that. that. That's true. Part of the niggerization process is that I got to be more upset with people within my race than the than the system that did things outside of it. Right. So that's right. That's right. Me, me and my father have not always had the best relationship. And Chris loves when I bring up this fact. Right. But the <laughs> mere presence of him in my house and the fact that he was bigger than me really did prevent me from doing a lot of stuff that I would have. I would have glad. Listen, I'm, let me just tell you, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about nobody else. My mother is great. My mother was great. My grandmother is great. I, I talk. She is the greatest person in my life. I promise you, if my dad wasn't around, I would have been out all night. I promise you, I would have been at some girl's house all night. I would have went out and partied all night. I would have did. I, there would have been days when I didn't feel like going to school. I would not have gone. I was one of those kids that needed a physically intimidating factor in my life. I'm just being honest mm, with you. Mm. That's not everybody. But I was somebody. Not as everybody. Not as everybody. Not as everybody. Like I love, I love you. You right. Every time you bring this story up, I'm happy about it because I'm like a healthy fear of your father will keep more people on the straight and narrow. And you don't have to be perfect as a father. Just make sure that you are the law and that there is a there is a credible threat. And that's the thing, fire right? on your ass. Yeah. yeah. And and here yeah, you are, Dr. Cole. Dr. Cole. And it, ain't, and it ain't like my like my dad didn't beat me. My I didn't get whoopings all the time. You gotta, right? you, gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful you broaching know. into this because then you'll get those toxic masculinity comments or whatever. Here's what I'll say. My, I have so many more resources at my disposal than my father has. I have a steady job for one. Like I'm not dealing like there are I understand the tools that are at my disposal that when I do have kids, I probably would never have to spank my kids. That probably won't. But when Chris is talking about a healthy fear, it's not walking around like I will kill you and beat you or whatever the case is. But it is somebody that is laying down rules and laying down the law and having a partner in doing it. Because in some of these families, it's the roles are reversed. I've been in a lot. I have friends where the father is not the disciplinarian. It's the mom. You know what I mean? But like, but there is something about having that partner to be able to help you. And listen, I'm not saying that things can't happen if it's not. I'm not 
I'm not parroting conservative talking points about what the family is, because even in my book, I say a father figure actually can actually be very good. So there's a lot of single parents, father and mother, that's making things happen. You know, I just wanted to put that there because we just talk about black dads as if they non-existent, like they don't, they don't, they don't add value. And like my dad ended up being a dad for a lot of kids in our neighborhood. So even though I didn't always get along with my dad, I have friends. One of them is a platinum selling recording artist now in Oakland who loves my dad because he showed up for a lot of other people whose dads wasn't there too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. Oh, dad, I know we be beefing, but there go your shout out, bro. <laughs> hey, he got hey, a shout out from me. Shout out. Hey, shout out to Mr. Cole. That's all I I'm going to say. I didn't grow up with my father, but I did grow up with a father figure. So shout out to my uncle Jeff because uh, and and my uncle Jimmy, my uncle BB, my uncle Clifford, my uncle Calvin. Shout out to all my uncles that stepped in and uh, to help my mom out in terms of raising me. But uh, I had that healthy fear, and that <laughs> healthy fear kind of helped me make better decisions that I would have made that I would not have made if I didn't have that healthy fear. Mm. And so you know, it ain't, it ain't beat me, it ain't you know. But the the thought of them being bigger or larger than me in stature. Um, made me kind of think twice about making bad decisions. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> I would just say this much. Mine's it a little different. Punch, it took one punch to the chest, and I was I was fixed right up. <laughs> that was the last day I told my dad what I wasn't gonna do in his house. That that, yeah. that that's beyond what I'm talking about, though. So so. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not talking like walking up with a closed fist and beating your children. No, it wasn't that. Listen, I was out of pocket. I was just like, look, I ain't washing no damn. I ain't do it. I didn't eat nothing. I just came home. Why am I doing the dishes? He was like, hey man, this, this is what, this is one thing my dad would do. I'm gonna just give you all the personal part. My dad to this day will not let my my mom or my sister touch garbage. His thing is. The women in my house will never touch trash. And there was just one day that me and my brother were really lazy and my mom got sick of us and took out the trash. And that dude gave us a talk and he looked a certain type of way. He said, if you ever again let my wife or my daughter touch trash with two grown ass boys in this house, you will touch everything in this room. And we just took and we took our trash from then on. That's all. That's all. That's all it takes to talk. That's all. It takes. Well, I say my my situation was a little bit different because in my family, the most fierce thing that you could have is an aunt, and my aunts, all of them, made the world go round for me. And my parents didn't have; uh, they couldn't say much about it because they were younger. But my aunts were everything; like they were everything in my life, and they would cut anybody for me, right? Mm. So I grew up with a system of aunts that I just, I always knew that I'd have a place to stay, something to eat. Uh, if my parents got mad at me, somewhere to go, because I had two aunts. My aunt Cookie was the most fierce for me uh, growing up, and she could trump both my parents, right? So anybody listening to this, get you an aunt. Damn, get an aunt. Get you an aunt Cookie. That's important, but get you an aunt. No, get you an aunt Cookie. Aunt Cookie was nothing to mess with. I actually had an aunt Cookie. I buried her, man. Nothing to mess with. Still is nothing to mess with. Love her to death, but get you an aunt, bro. You know. Chris, before, I know we, I mean, I think the conversation is going where it needs to go, but I don't know if you, did you have another point for this plan? It's your point. 
Well, so listen, last week when we talked about this, there were five that I had said, you know, fund the family. So get the per pupil revenue meant for for kids directly to families and put it in their control so they can start making decisions for their kids. Make sure every kid has an IEP, a personalized individual learning plan and something like Summit Learning, uh, a process that helps everybody stay on track. But it's for the individual kid. Um, start thinking about unschools, like the city as a classroom, big wall, uh, uh, unwalled schools, you know, uh, art museums and everything else you could do. Um, self-selected learning communities. I just wrote something over the weekend that there are um, black families and brown families that are starting these pods now and it's starting to grow. They need resources and they need money. So that would be in an agenda. Helping families be the ones fund the family, help them personalize the education, help them use all the, the city in their disposal, not just put them in school, not just school choice, or here's a school for you or whatnot, and then have an expanded view of what constitutes a teacher. I just wanted to say that because that, that's, the, that's the, the bringing up of last week, that's the review from last week. The thing that I added, the one point that I added this week, because you guys said agenda, and I thought, okay, how's that turn into an agenda though? You know how Gloria Lanson Billings has this thing around the educational debt, right? which I don't know that I've delved into enough, but if there is such thing as an educational debt, and I keep talking about this fact that like after 1954, we lost our black educational capital. Like we lost black teachers, we lost black principals, we closed black schools and all of the pedagogical information that they had, there should be a plan to reclaim that. Because what we don't have right now is black educational capital. We have the right to get injected in other people's schools and their systems. So, I think there should be some educational reparations. I have a call tomorrow where we're going to be talking about this in a town hall, actually tomorrow, education reparations. So I already had been thinking about it, but we need to actually, we need some resources. It could come in any form. Maybe it's a big ass grant from the government to all the HBCUs to do K-12 lab schools to regenerate that, that black educational capital lab schools at the higher ed level um, that, creates new teachers, new principals, new schools, new ideas, new learning systems. That would be my one point. Yeah. Hey, Charles, jump in with your point. Yeah, mine is, man, I think that um, I'm trying to see exactly where to go with it, man, but I, I just appreciate that. Um, I think, so this part goes on the self, and I, I'm calling it the Black People Syllabus, and it kind of goes in line with what you were saying, Chris, but I think that there's a, an education that we're not getting in this country uh, that kind of goes beyond the school walls, and one of those things that I think that we should be doing, and hopefully y'all can bring this up in your talk, I want I want the emergence of a Black Sesame Street to happen. Mm. I think right now... We should we should be using the free airwaves that anybody can log on and see and it's free. There should be programming for black children, for black communities uh, that's friendly, that's welcoming. Uh, and they should be talking about things like how to eradicate di diabetes. They should be talking about things like what like finances, money management, like people with wealth actually acclimate their kids to the to the understanding of wealth very early. Um, and we tend to do this more from a scarcity model, right? So what I did learn, I didn't learn about stocks and bonds as a kid, but you know what I did learn? I learned how to pay a little bit on the gas bill and a little yeah. bit on this bill, right? Like survival shit, but it's unhealthy in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, I didn't learn about these self-sustaining things. And if we know how important property is, we know how important education is, we know how important our health is, um, What's the why is it that we don't actually have those conversations? Why is it that schools get cringy when I say, hey, why don't y'all talk to kids about investing? 
Like, why don't you talk to kids about entrepreneurship? Like, why don't we do those things? And they cringe on that, but you've been telling me about Christopher Columbus since I was a baby. Like, it, it, the niggerization of our people for a while. Go ahead, brother. Hey, hold on, you hold on. Hold the re-niggerization hey. now. The re-niggerization of our people. Wait, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I think I got somebody's voice that y'all need to hear. What up, Big Reef? <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? It looked like I called in right at the right moment. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> What's happening, Reef, man? We miss you, bro. We wanted to uh, make sure you got on so you could say hi to the folks, man. You know they come to hear you. Uh, man, I miss y'all too, man. I miss y'all too. Look, my mom sends a regard when I told her, I was like, hey, Black Kansas calling. She just broke out of the big grin. She oh, said, you know, so yeah, she sends y'all her love. And uh, no, I just, you know, appreciate all of y'all, uh, you know, just patience. And thanks for holding the fort down and moving it forward, you know? Yeah. Exciting stuff. That's what's yeah. up, bro. We love you. We're not going to hold you up, man. We, But we just wanted to hear from you. No, I, I appreciate it, man. And, and, you know, shout out to all of our, our listeners and our, our supporters and all of that. We appreciate y'all. And um, keep, okay. up the great, keep up the great work, fellas. Before you go, Sharif, is there anything that we, your brothers can do for you, the, the, the people listening, uh, collective prayer, whatever, man? Like, tell us, like, what do you want to leave us with or what do you need to ask us of? We, you give us so much. Let us give you something. Mm. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, you know, one, as, as you always do, man, let's let's make sure we're still holding everybody accountable for the 8 million uh, black children. Uh, and then secondly, personally, you know, there's a saying that, you know, the best place to be is in people's hearts and prayers. Mm. So I, you know, I will, you know, appreciate being in your hearts and prayers. That's the best place for, for me to be um, and my mother to be and, and our family to be. So appreciate y'all. Mm. Right. All right, you, got big it, you got it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thanks right. a lot, y'all. Easy, easy. All right. I miss y'all. Talk miss to y'all too, soon. bro. Yeah. We miss you too, brother. We miss you too, man. Thank you for that, Ray. That was uh that was a pleasant surprise, man. Thank you. Mm. We needed that. Hey, so I wanted to get uh to this this Scott comment, right? Because you know, Scott has some knowledge of this, right? So he says, uh, please allow me to provide some context. True, the numbers are insane with uh relation to the ratio of black men to all other races in prison. The 94 crime bill was supported by numerous black legislators that voted for the bill and the funding of the prison complex expansion. This bill made 85% time served that industry standard. The 94 crime bill went uh, future by demanding states go to 85% uh, in order to continue receiving federal funding. So basically what that means is that 85% of your sentence, so you get 15 years flat, you got to yep. do 12 in yeah. order in, in order for you to come home, right? Mm-hmm. When uh where other folks they do seven and a half years uh on a 15-year sentence and they come home. So you know that that's what the prison system does for us. Shout out to Scott, uh one of my fraternity brothers. Uh thanks for coming into these comments, man, and, and, and bringing us that knowledge. We appreciate you. Now, and Charles, I just wanna I just wanna add for the record, just wanna add for the record, you know who else signed on to the crime bill of 1994? Mr. Bernard Sanders. So I just, you know, I just for all my Bernie bros, I just want to put this out there because y'all was running this meme to death when Bernie was running. You was running this old lock him up Joe and lock him up Kamala and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know who else signed it? Mr. Bernard Sanders. And on top of that, Mr. Bernard Sanders is from Vermont, which is a nation leader in black incarceration. So 
There you go. They only got eight black people, and five of them are in jail. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Well, you were about to ask something, Ray. Yeah, so I so I was I was building on Chris's point about the lab schools at the HBCUs. I think mm. another another way to kind of drive that point home is for us to have free college for uh black and brown kids that go to HBCUs that teach for 10 years. Well, yeah, I mean I, I'm down with that. I mean, actually, if you read the master plan for California, there's actually precedent that you can take from that. So College was always intended to be free in in, uh, in California, and then it changed somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wrote a full plan, and I am fully uh, in support of taking that plan and retooling it and triggering it for Black folks. But I think that we have to. Here was the other point that I was going to come to. Right, we have to have something that connects us to our roots, uh, and there's precedence for this. If you are Jewish, once you become a certain age, they send you back to your quote unquote motherland. Right. And I know that this might be there's some wrinkles in it because a lot of us don't know where we come from in Africa, exactly that spot. But there are countries that have been welcoming. So, you know, so Ghana had the year of return or whatnot. And I think that there it would be something it's harder for me to hang out in the streets and shoot somebody if I have a job, if I have if I'm educated and. If I've gone back and seen where I came from and really grasped with what happened to my people, I'm not saying that, that would eradicate everything, but there's something about seeing it and being there. Um, and those are the things that we have to do to start repairing and healing. Right. Like um, there are people. Let's just be very real, because part of this niggerization process is they make you think you're crazy. So this whole thing about reparations, how many times you heard people say that can't happen. That's crazy. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. But then you read story after story about other cultures and races where they actually have done things on their own and the state has done and met them with those things. So again, until you know what's happened, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to know what's possible and everything is impossible until you do it. So that's one of the things that I would add is that, we should have, there should be state funds in addition to all this stuff that actually allows us to go back to these places to just have a better understanding of our roots. Bro, it's funny that you should mention that about the funding for reparations because, you know, we when we talk about that, you know, when we initially got into this whole COVID mess, it was like, damn, well, you know, if we can't fund the things that we need to fund on a normal basis. How are we going to fund, you know, unemployment or whatever? How are we going to do this COVID pay or whatever? And then, Lo and behold, we pull trillions of dollars out of our asses in order to fund, you know, rep for to fund COVID nineteen. And so mm-hmm. I can't. You can't tell. You can't have. We can't have this argument anymore about there's no way to fund reparations. That's bullshit. You better watch out. You're gonna lose your Republican car, bro. They're gonna <laughs> kick you out the party. They're about to no, kick you out the party right now. I'm already. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm hanging on by a string, man. Mitt Romney twenty four. Mitt Romney twenty four. With a um, with uh, with uh, who do I want as his VP? Um, Condi, mm. Ben Romney, twenty four with Condi. Yeah, you by yourself. Um, you are. Listen, yeah, so you, you alone and you tripping, you drinking again. Um, so like, listen, I have a question for y'all about this this reparations point. Because, again, it was something that the black conservatives in this. Uh, I'm going to send you all the link to this. They, they went on and on about that being the biggest threat, the bo- biggest political threat to black people being taken seriously was this push for reparations. That's what they were saying. But some of these other people like Charles, you mentioned the Jewish people go back to Israel because they know they're from Israel. They know that's them. Japanese people can go back to Japan. Chinese people go to China. You know, 
I, I did this test. I don't know if y'all did it too. the, the ancestry.com, whatever test, whatever. And it tells you about where you're from or where your people are from in Africa. It was nice to see that. But do you think that like the idea that all these other groups were homogenous, single culture groups, and it's easier for them to keep their culture like, like Latino people have Spanish so they can hide stuff in their language. You know, um, Japanese people, uh, uh, even Native Americans, American Indians or whatnot had a homogenous tribe or a group where they were strong and capitalized together. Yet we were brought here involuntarily from a lot of different places and mixed with a lot of different things and had different languages, had all our languages confused, all our religions confused. And still, as of today, that maybe never died. That might be a problem why, why it is hard for us ever to do something together, right? Because all these, these solutions, we're talking about government solutions, what a government should pass something to give us free college or a government should do it, but we don't run the government. The government is a majority rule institution and the majority isn't us, right? So if we're waiting for great policy to save us, where the Jews built capital, the Irish, as you said, and the Italians and all them became white, right? That was their capital, was just becoming white. They invested in that, they just became that. There's a Chinatown in every big city, right? In LA, there's a Koreatown, right? And in LA, black people have been displaced by uh, uh, um, large groups of, of, of Mexican capital, right? Nothing against any of those groups of people. But if they sat around and waited for government to pass something for them, they would be in trouble. And this is probably why when African people come here from other places, they ain't trying to mess with us too much. They like stick together and build stores for themselves. My area, we got lots of Somali institutions or whatnot. They don't have to ever buy anything from anybody else. Mm. They don't have to buy cell phones from anybody else. They don't have to buy rice, beans, nothing from anybody else because they've got it in their own culture. Bro, hey, hey, just real quick, I wanna I wanna just make this note that uh Jolof Rice from Nigeria is amazing. I'm I'm, I'm very happy that that brought you so much joy. Um, <laughs> and, and Heather made a good point, and uh and I and I want to make sure I don't I don't think that we were necessarily saying that, but I do think that um she was basically saying that all Jews are not necessarily from Israel, but they have that you know nor are they a single culture homogenous, uh, but they fought for a collective homeland to reinforce it. And I think that, like, I mean, I have, I have. Like, I was going to say, I got a few things to say about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> like, you know what? They do come from all over the world. There's Ethiopian Jews, but you know who the Jews are once those, once everybody gets to Israel? And you see the way that the African Jews are treated once they get there? You know who the real Jews are once you get there. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I don't, this well, will be I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't fully understand. I know all the politics. The point mm-hmm. that I was making and making that point was it was one out of admiration. It was one of saying, I actually love that idea of going back wherever that is, right? And so I would never say that like Jews are all the same or whatever the case is. But the point that I'm making, because this is what happens. Right. It's like when we start, I don't want us to start splitting hairs and then arguing amongst ourselves. Right. Right. Because my point wasn't that they're all the same either, though. I know what you're saying. My point was to say something that is even more complimentary than that, which is to say that when you go and you watch a kid, as I did, like we have a a, uh, my son grew up with a very close friend who was Jewish. And when I went to his bar mitzvah, I like freaked out because I didn't know what one was. And I saw this kid that I had known since kindergarten reading 3000 years of history coming through and being transmitted through him. Right. Coming through this child was this three, a transmission of 3000 years of history. Right. 
And I had known him since kindergarten. I didn't know that that's what they did. I didn't know that that that's that's where this comes from. I was saying to myself, even back then, where's our, our version of that? Our rights of passage, right? Like there, yeah, there yeah. are There's a version there of that. rights of passage, right? That yeah. kind of happened. And I think that's what we're calling on. So again, I don't, I'm not getting into all that because I don't know all those things. I will, I will be very clear on my ignorance there. And I have a black Jewish friend that helps, that does help inform me. And I like some of the stuff that they do. I like the rights of passage that like, you could, I need you to memorize this and this is what's going to happen. And, and this is how we're doing it. I think, but that also leads me to my other point. My stuff is out of focusing, but that leads me to one of my points. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty much, man. But that leads me to one of my other points, right? And and and, and it's like, I, this is the one that I was kind of struggling with. I know we need to end. I'm going to call it a black political booster party. And what I mean by that is, one, this country has had a history of a ton, having a ton of political parties. It's, 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 not, it's never been just two. There have been black political parties before. These things are not impossible, but they don't always teach you this in your civics class. What I mean by a black political booster party is a is a group of us. And there are three to five things that we collectively agree on as black people. We can take a year to get those things or whatever. But it's like, look, whether you Republican, Democrat or whatever the case is, here are the three things that black people are asking for collectively. And one of y'all need to actually approach us about those things. Right. Um, And then there's some type of committee that says, hey, here's where our endorsement goes or whatever the case is. But we actually have to start to understand the power of like political advocacy in a different way than how we normally thought about it. Um, and, and, and there's a way to do it. I've seen it done and we have seen it. If you live in San Francisco, if you live in the Bay, um, you can watch how gay folks got the things that they wanted. You can watch, you watch them lose in prop eight. You watch them actually come together and be like, no, we doing it this way. They had their own internal meetings and then they came out blasting and they got the things that they wanted to see. You've seen this in other groups and the thing is, because we're going to go back to that term that Chris and I have been saying all day, we fight each other. Like, they know that they can just drop a few little things in the middle of our crowds, and we're going to eat each other up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And like, mm-hmm. again, so I even want to end my part, because I know we got to end. Even that conversation about Black dads. When I'm talking about Black dads, I'm not taking anything away from Black moms. I was raised by my mother. I was raised by my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. My grandmother is my favorite person on this planet. You know what I'm saying? And she raised me until she died. Like, there, I've not met a better person. You know what I'm saying? And I think that we have to really figure out how to do that own healing within, where there's some closed-door cousin meetings or whatever. We got <laughs> to figure it out because these people that don't like us, all they got to do is sit on the sideline. They know. They know what to do and what to say and who to give power at the right moment. So we end up fighting each other. And that, that, that would be the end of my plan. I mean, I had a few other things, but we had time. We, like, really had time. But <laughs> We're giving you, the people you, what they want. Do you have something to do? Because, like, you keep saying this is the third time you said something about time. Well, oh, well, well, jump in here. Well, yeah, I do always have. I have something to do, but I'm here. Uh, yeah, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's on you, sir. Um... 
I mean, you know, a lot of this is is my mind is in a lot of different places right now because of some stuff that I'm writing and some stuff that I'm researching. So, you know, that's probably what you're seeing in me right now is I'm all over um, the map and some things that I'm thinking. But these these government solutions are these asking somebody for a solution or these making demands of something outside of us for a solution. We can't out of one side of our mouth say that we really honestly believe that we live in an institutionally racist country. And that we honestly believe that niggerization is a thing and a process that has been ongoing for a long period of time that didn't cease and didn't end at some point. And then out the other side of our mouth say that we need to form a plan for asking the people who have perfected that to give us something that helps us liberate ourselves. Right. So what I think is is a problem for me, and I'm not I don't know, like this is messy. I don't know how to get out of this yet. This, right. this intellectual part, it's like circular in that I don't think. Anything except for self-help solutions will build capital, black capital. And the only power in the United States is capital, whether it's black, white, green, purple, brown, whatever. Until you have capital in a capitalist society, you are just like spitting in the wind. Right. So we put a lot of faith in lawmakers, congressmen, laws, um, programs. Right. And, And since the 60s, we have seen a lot of programs come and go. I love Head Start. It's like one of the ones I still love today and still think is is like has done so much for so many people. But the collective, we have individual successes. We don't have the collective success right now. And I don't know how we get there. It can't just be like everybody suddenly doing Kwanzaa every year and like reading the Kwanzaa principles and, and like because I don't know how realistic something like that is, but we do need collective power. We need collective monetary power. We need collective commerce power. We need to stop getting jobs and start making jobs for people if we want the type of power that we want to say. The problem with part of that for me is half of us just want to join the other world, right? They don't even see the goal of collective activity. They see making it is actually integration, right? We're the only group who believes that you have to disperse yourselves to become successful in this country. The Asian dollar makes seven trips in the Asian community before it goes out into the broader community. The white dollar makes like five trips before it goes out into any other part of the world, right? The black dollar doesn't even make one make trip. No trips. Remember, remember said, make tripping. no trips. We're money tripping. We're tripping. <laughs> we are tripping. We are the biggest consumers. We're like a trillion dollar economy with, um, with nothing to show for it. Lots of individual successes. When you said the gay thing, that's what triggered me, uh, um, uh, Charles, because uh, I did a little bit of work in the campaign for marriage equality and had lots of friends that were working on that whatnot. And one of the things that that was so clear to me about that was you had gay billionaires, you had gay millionaires, you had gay like 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 thousandaires, hundred thousandaires. Right. That wasn't a poor movement. Right. Necessarily to make that happen. It costs money to actually get that uh, um, that, that I, I don't I, I don't think people remember how hard of work that was, right? That changed in a, a pretty I, rapid you know, I, I work in the Democratic Party, so we, when we were starting those uh, Young Dems groups or whatever, I, this was around that time. So, yeah, I, I, go ahead, because I got some reflections. No, no, go ahead. Because everything I just said, I'm just realizing is messy. So it's all over the place, what I just said. So I enjoy hearing what you got to say about it. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, basically, it was the same thing, right? It, it, there was money there, and there was a there was a way that it came out the first time, right? And it was kind of led more by young people, and it was like you know folks were kind of out there, and they would just kind of have the message wasn't as tight. And then some of these folks, like you said, after they lost, 
They got an infusion of money. There was some other leadership that actually came in and worked with these young people too. But like, then it was like, you had folks in suits showing up and you had folks that was like, okay, this is what's about to happen. Right. And you had people that were willing to pull their money back from like other things if they didn't get what they needed. Right. And so, you know, but they came together and instead of having 20 different things that they wanted, it was like, here are the things that we need you to do. And if you don't, it's going to be a problem. And yeah. I think that that's, that was my point about our black booster group is like, we need three things. Here's the three. Cause we're not going to agree on 30. But what's the three things that we can agree on that me and you can fight and go in the back and slap box and do whatever we want? Mm-hmm. But, I'm not doing all that. That takes too much energy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing all that. It's something that we all can agree on, right? Yeah. And I know that's going to be hard in and of itself, but that's what I was meaning. And, I, and this is me, again, I know people are listening and people like to pick what we say and all that stuff because I get all the messages. I am showing love and admiration for any group that I mentioned today. Like it is because I'm watching and I'm admiring and I'm saying, well, how do we do that? Like when you go to Chinatown in any city and they got their own economy, like Chinatown and Chinatown in Oakland, Lincoln Elementary School is the only school that I've known in my life that's inside of a district that still got 80 plus percent of their own people teaching and that have numbers and, and results that don't mirror nothing else in the district for that economic group. Nothing else. And I just want to know why. Like, I'm curious, right? Because I'm, I, I admire it. There's this video. I should um, bring it up on another show. It's George Frazier, I think it is. He has a book called uh, Success Runs in Our Race. And he does a lot of talks around black people are not um, poor. We're just not connected. And he starts talking about networks and whatnot. And he says, go to Chinatown and try and open the Booker T. Washington delicatessen and watch what happens. Right. <laughs> um, and he's basically telling you that real power is Chinatown power. Koreatown power, what Jews have been able to do over time, whatnot, without having to disperse themselves wholly, right? They have some collective capital. There's a question here. Where is it? I think it went up. Ian Snyder asked, does the accumulation of black capital or the elimination of racism come first? Mm. And I think the question that actually is like hitting at what I was trying to say, which was, I don't think the elimination of racism, like Derek Bell told us that racism is, is permanent. Like that's what critical race theory is. The bottom of critical race theory tells you that it's not an aberration, that is permanent. Like it's, it's endemic. It's part of the system. It's within the DNA. If you really believe that, then how do you act differently? I don't understand how some people who claim to be critical race theorists also um, propose integration as the way for us to gain power. Those two things don't even seem to line up to me. They're not even congruent. <laughs> those are like two different shoes, right? You, you, you can't wear those without looking kind of dumb, right? Just in my mind, this is just me talking. So I think the black capital comes before, uh, before it. But what do we do to get our black billionaires involved? Like in reform world, in education reform world, one of the, the things you hear about all the time is people of color, um, the experience that you have with philanthropists when you're trying to um, start something, move something or do whatever. And I've said oftentimes, I think part of that frustration is that they aren't black philanthropists. Right. Mm-hmm. What are our black billionaires invested in? I saw one of them give everybody at Howard or one of their colleges like, you know, free college. That was more house for generation. Yeah. You know, for, for a group of them. That was cool. You know, but where's the bigger plan? 
I'm not going to start naming people, but damn, we got some black billionaires or millionaires at least. Right. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right. So, so we're going to close it out. Uh, Chris, close the thoughts. We'll start with you. I'll just make those my closing thoughts, man, because I'm messy today. I'm messy tonight, but I'm just telling you that we got different ways of people going. We got these black conservatives right now who are actually um, um, organizing for Trump, of all things, right now. And they are getting much more um, media gain than I thought. They're getting way more social media gain than I even knew. There are like people that are so damn famous um, that I never even knew about. And they've got millions of followers and 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 um, and they're creating an alternative universe for black thought and black policy. And then on our side of defense, I don't know what our side of defense is because you Republican and one of you a Democrat and I'm neither. So um, I don't know what our side of defense is, actually. But on our side of defense, we, we, I think um, we need more friends at high in high places. Um, who, who are ready to move something. That's it. That's all I got. Well, I appreciate you being messy tonight, man. I mean, listen, one of our best friends, our, our two of our hands is hurting. You know what I mean? He's handling stuff. We lost Chadwick Bozeman. We still in COVID. I mean, you know, we are part of the thing that I think people come to us for is the transparency. And I think emotionally we are in a lot of different places. It's like, we want to help and we want to do something. Uh, and then we see people bickering and it's like, well, what the hell? This ain't going to get us there. For the people that are watching, I want to do this because I know that there are people that like to pick our show apart and like, y'all didn't mention this. You said this. We understand that when we talk about black power and stuff like that, that we are one of the only groups that came over here in chains. Like, I want to just make sure I say that because they feel like thinking that we dumb and don't know history, right? Like there are some other extra baggage pieces that come with that that's, that is still and was supported by the state. And I'm fully aware of that, okay? That's that. The last part that I'll leave us with is you live in the niggerization process right now. And here's how the niggerization playbook plays out. We watch somebody get shot in the back seven times, right? And we know what the playbook is. The playbook is then going to be, well, he had a criminal record. This is what happened. And what it does is it asks you a question. Well, you're not a savage like this person, right? Like crime is bad, right? And you're like, well, yeah, crime is bad. And then before you know it, you're having to defend and put somebody on trial that was the victim as opposed to being the person that was vic- that, 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 that got shot. Then we watched a boy who was 17 years old get driven up by his mom from Illinois with an AR-15 in which this is not a this is not a right to bear arms situation because he was underage. This is not a legal thing. You know what I'm saying? And we watched him kill people. Now, granted, those people did run up on him and he got tripped and we can get into those or whatever. But had his illegal ass not done that. This wouldn't even be an issue, right? And we're watching this boy be exalted to a hero. This boy is being called on to become president. He already has a pack of over $250,000 from his people. Mm. They have already rallied behind him. Mm. Trump is ready to do the pardon. Do you understand? He will be in the White House at some point before Trump leaves this office. That is the niggerization process and playbook in front of you right now that has you hating the people that got victimized and loving the people that were perpetrators. And now he gets to be an innocent 17 year old boy. When the last time a 16 or 17 year old, he became a weapon. And they said that the concrete was a weapon that he used in justifying his murder. All right. We have got to get out of our own way. It is a lot of people doing things to us, but we can't be having petty fights amongst ourselves. Do we got shit to work on together? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. But when we show up for the meeting around the two or three things that we need to do, it needs to stay on the meeting. Mm-hmm. Don't 
don't succumb to this stuff. And thank y'all so much for rocking with us. And Sharif, I'm praying for you and your people. So, Charles, oh, <laughs> I, I hate to do it. I hate to do it, bro. But on your last point, on your last point, here. I just want to say your last point, what you going to do when Sean shows up to the meeting? What you talking about? I thought we had to meet with black people. Go ahead, bro. Uh, uh, see, you're wrong for that. Hey, so, 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 so here, here's how, here's how I'm gonna, uh, I'm, a, I'm gonna roll out. And in, uh, in 1992, when I was a sophomore in high school, I called myself uh, being a, a, a drug dealer in my town. And so what happened was, I saw a lot of folks around me, man, getting it. I saw a lot of folks around me, you know, coming to school in Jordan's, coming in. Coming to school with things that I like, that I wanted, that at that time I didn't have access to, right? So I made a lot of mistakes in terms of uh, killing my community and doing things that I should not have done in order to be with the Joneses, uh, so to speak. And so to anybody out there that's struggling to want to keep up with the Joneses and take the easy way out and not put in the work, not go to college, not go to classes, not do everything that you need to do in order to be all that you can be, man, it's very easy to get into fast money. Mm. That shouldn't be your thing. Mm. Hard work, that should be your thing because at the end of the day, if you put in the work, it pays off, right? And so this message is for all the little homies out there that's struggling, for all the little homies out there that, you know, that that, that want to see some success. In order for you to see the kind of success that's going to keep Going on and on generationally, you got to put in the work. That's what I got. And I assure you that getting degrees or going to college or just doing what you're supposed to do is not as hard work as being broke in a capitalist society that's racist as hell. Like the, the hardest work, the hardest job in America is being a broke black parent, right? In a society that hates black children, black people, and Hates broke people, right? All those three things. I guarantee you it's easier work to just go ahead and do the easy stuff. Get your little diploma, get your little degree, go get some job somewhere, do some hot yoga like Ray, you know. Hey, let me come in here. Just do hey, your thing. And that ain't wrong with hot yoga. This guy is, he's hes actually walking now four miles a day. He hasn't told y'all yet, right? <laughs> so, yo, yo, yo. So, Look, so walking is different. Walking huh? is different. Walking ain't no damn yoga. Moses walked. Moses didn't do no yoga. <laughs> Everybody walks. Martin Luther King walked. Moses walked. Did they do yoga? No. You no. don't know that. You don't know that. You know, hey, bre- hey, breathing, breathing, a type of breathing is considered yoga, right? So, like, you okay. breathing from like in deep, like, man, if y'all don't end this show, <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, thanks you for tuning in to episode 77 of Black Agenda. We hope you learned something. We'll see you next week. We love you. Peace. Peace out. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.